I believe you're always just one connection away. Like at every point in my life, like it's always been somebody that showed up. And so especially during these times where we've been talking about this kind of COVID related stuff, like connection is really what people are hungry for. And so if you're stuck, I think the answer is really not how to solve it, but rather who can help you solve it. And like, if you're battling with lots of things right now and you're feeling a little bit stuck, chances are somebody has the answer. And instead of trying to do it all on your own, you're just one connection away from making that happen. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 679. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I can't even tell you how much I'm loving the journey of having both the audio and the video version going out now. So for listeners who are listening on your favorite podcast platform, if you ever want to join the party video-wise, make sure to head on over to YouTube and watch everything right there because some episodes are visual as well as auditory. I'm not, call the grammar please if I got that one wrong, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But today's guest is Brandon Fong from Seven Figure Millennials. And I got to tell you that right before we got into the recorded section of the show, I had to ask, am I a millennial or not? And no, I'm not. I wonder what I am. (laughs) Is that Gen X? I believe so, yes. Okay. So I'm right on the cusp. Listeners, you know, I've shared my weight. I've shared my credit score. I've shared a lot. I was born in 1979. And actually you would have just heard this on the episode with John Cole, but I've off like different people. Brendan shared that different people draw the line in different places. So some people will say I'm a millennial. Some people will say I'm Gen X. According to Wikipedia, which as we all know, is the the number one authority on everything is uh, <laughs> 1981 to 1996 is, okay. the, is what they say. But I don't feel like I belong to either side. That You know, that's a weird because I'm 96, actually. So like I'm like the last year for millennials. So like they even talked about there being a micro generation. I forgot what they called it, but it would be between Gen Z and, and millennials. So I don't know. I feel like, you know, wherever your heart's at. <laughs> You're 96. I am 96. Yeah. I graduated high school in 97. <laughs> wow. You just made the gray hairs on my head feel really old. <laughs> so how did seven figure millennials come to be in you know, I I know I'm skipping right ahead, but tell us about yourself and tell us how you got here. Yeah. So I like to start my story at the very beginning and it's cool. We're doing video because now I can show some stuff that I have with me, but like my story starts at Wisconsin Hills middle school. And the reason why I like to start middle school is because the story I tell is like every day at 1133 AM, the school bell lunch bell would ring and my stomach would start to churn and like all the middle schoolers would flood out in the hallway. And if you, if you looked closer, you'd see little nerdy Brandon chilling behind the packs of everybody else. And I was stalling on my way to lunch. And the reason why I hated lunch so much is because I would go through the lunch checkout line with my little plastic tray with my chicken nuggets and smiley face fries or whatever they were serving for the day. <laughs> I'd put it on the counter. I'd type in my student ID and up on the screen, would show Brandon Fong $0.00 because my family qualified for the free and reduced lunch program. 
and we got government help. And I was just so embarrassed by that. And I mean, I don't, I mean, you guys can remember being in middle school or you can remember being in middle school. You want nothing more than to just impress your friends. And so I would hide in the bathroom. I would try to distract them. Anything from seeing the $0 next to my name. And I know it was only ever up there for like two seconds, but it meant so much to me. And the reason why I like to tell that story is because even though my family didn't grow up with the resources, I realized that to be successful, it doesn't require resources. It requires being resourceful. And so from the age of 12 onward, I had to learn how to figure out how to win, even if the odds were stacked against me. And so I'm super grateful for my parents. And one of the things that they taught me from a very early age was the power of connecting with other people. And so they would pull me out of school when I was 16 and they would let me go to local networking events where I would have the opportunity to talk with people and you know add value to people that were literally four or five times my age, you know? And so fast forward five years from there, and it's my senior year of college. And I ended up reaching out to a really successful entrepreneur. His name is Jonathan Levy. At the time, he had over 100,000 students in his online courses, uh, 1.5 million downloads on his podcast and a TEDx talk and all that stuff. And I was just some college student, but I reached out to him and I'm like, these are all the different ways that I'd love to help you out. And long story short, that ended up being a relationship where I ended up running his marketing for three years, helped add 100,000 students to his courses, 1.5 million downloads to his podcast while I was on the team, launched a bunch of products. And Jonathan also got me into a mastermind called Genius Network, which is a $25,000 a year group. You have to be making seven figures a year. And again, I found myself as the youngest person in the room at 22. You were in Genius Network. Yeah, I was in Genius Network. And so absolutely blessed, super incredible because of the connections that Jonathan had. But the reason why I tell that story is two main things. There are two things that I learned from working with Jonathan. One, I learned the power of what one connection can really do for you. And the other thing is I had the opportunity to look under the hood of a seven-figure business and also get to network with people at a super high level as well. And so today I'm focused on teaching people how to grow businesses using the power of connection. And so I know I've been talking a while, but that kind of dovetails into a little bit about what I'm creating with seven figure millennials. And that is, you know, I saw at the high level, you can be incredibly financially successful and miserable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, so I want to change the conversation around entrepreneurship for the millennial generation of pursuing entrepreneurship for the right reasons of focusing on financial success is important, I believe, but also prioritizing your health and relationships and, you know, doing entrepreneurship for the right reasons. The quote that inspired was Jim Rohn, become a millionaire, not for the million dollars, but for what it will make of you to achieve it. And so I'm excited to continue to develop that community and really show people that, you know, there's success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. I think uh, Tony Robbins says that. So it's going to be a wild journey and we can pack into any point that you want to dive in from there. I know that was a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. And I want to start by saying that at 11 years old, I was in very much the same boat. Although 20 years before we didn't have to punch in our lunch number and nobody, well, actually they did know because at that point, if we were getting assisted lunch, which I wasn't because my mom she wouldn't apply for it, even though we really needed it. Mm. But if we had it, you had a ticket, like oh. like raffle ticket looking ticket. And sure. every, I mean, it was basically like the stigma. Oh, that kid gets free lunch, you yeah. know? And so we didn't do that, but there were no extras. And I remember lunch cost a dollar 30 and that's, that's what I had. And school lunches, they're not enough to fill up a growing kid. 
Right. <laughs> so I always wanted more. So I remember hearing on the loudspeaker one day afternoon announcements. I don't know what they do anymore. I should ask my kids today. But they gave an announcement. The local newspaper is looking for delivery people. If you're interested, come see Mr. Wrights and, and fill out an application. So I, I ran right up there after school and I filled out an application. And at 11 years old, I started delivering the newspaper at 530 in the morning. Full disclosure, my mother did most of the work. <laughs> But I was the one who was responsible for going up and down the streets. I mean, pre-internet, nobody, you didn't pay for your newspaper subscription online. So I would be there one, every week getting my, I don't know, or every month getting my $6.10. And then I had yeah. a, a little denim purse. I'm so dating myself here, full <laughs> of change that I could buy my $35, you know, Mr. Good Bar whatever it is, the ice cream sandwich. Sure. So nobody was going to know that we didn't have money. I was going to, oh, and I just need to really date myself right now. That was like 1991. Fluorescent colors were all the rage. Please, <laughs> for the sake of my children, fashion designers, keep fluorescent colors in the past. That's all I have to say. Because I look back at those school pictures and I'm like, Holy goodness. Okay. But with all of that, like embarrassingness shared on the wall behind you, and I know people who are listening, they can't see it, but you have a sign that says, stay humble, hustle hard. What does hustle mean to you? That's a really good question. I think there's lots of stigma around hustle these days that it means that you need to work a hundred hours and, you know, just be crazy all the time. To me, Hustle doesn't have that connotation, even though I know that that's kind of like the societally accepted formula for it. But I think the hustle to me really just means like, to me, there's no glory or there's no, I wouldn't respect somebody that is hustling and just not even thinking about what they're doing. So for me, I like to think about it as like more of intelligent hustling. You know, I really focus on what is the 80-20 of my time? How can I be make sure that I'm focusing on my unique abilities. And so I think there's an intelligent hustle and an unintelligent hustle. Uh -huh. And I think the unintelligent hustle is where you just nonstop, you just kind of keep going just because you need to be moving. And then there's the intelligent hustle where you're applying, you know, the 80, 20 rule and, and making sure that you're sticking within your zone of genius and, and applying that to the fullest extent. So I think I've never been asked that question before. So a really good question, but I, I definitely think that there needs to be a conversation around that because just working until you you know, drop is just not a solution that's sustainable. <laughs> well, and that's what I did. So I just had to be totally honest. I love the stay humble part of the image, but the hustle hard, like I hate the word hustle with a passion sure. and I don't hate very much tailgaters and negative people and the word hustle. Because when I started my business in 2012, all the way up until 2016, 2017, that's all I was doing was hustling. And it was so miserable. I was saying yes to everybody. I thought that, you know, just because I could do something meant I should. So have you read Profit First? I'm checking out your bookshelf behind you. Have yourself. not, have not. Okay. It's an awesome book. But what he was saying was, you know, you really have to stick in your zone. And you and I have already talked about it already in the recorded portion, but even in the pre-chat, the example that Michael Lowitz gives is 
there's a landscaper who's mowing the lawn one day and he notices at his client's house that the gutters need cleaned. So he offers to clean the gutters and the guy's like, yeah, sure. But now he has to go out and buy a ladder and the gutter cleaning equipment, which he didn't have before. So he gets up there and he realizes, oh, the roof needs repair, but he's not a roof. Like, I don't know. Let's just pretend that they need to be certified or something. He doesn't have the certification. So now he has to hire somebody and pay for those materials sure. as well. So he does because he wants the money. And then he notices that the masonry on the fireplace needs fixed. And the same thing, he gets more work, but he's not a mason Mm -hmm. and he needs to hire. I wound up in screwing myself. Let's just put it that way because I would hire, I would promise custom built or custom designed WordPress websites that weren't even based on any type of theme, like that I would have a designer to do it. And what I ended up finding that wasn't my passion zone. It's not like I could just pick up the work if the person disappeared. Right. And that's that's exactly what happened. I was overcommitting stuff or two stuff that I couldn't even do myself if the team wasn't there and I didn't want to, but the team would just disappear and then I would be hustling, hustling. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just the result of movies like Pretty Women. I mean, those are like, that's true from when I grew up. Hustling was just such a dirty thing. I think there needs to be a better word though. So I'm all about working smarter, not harder. You said when you were a senior, you reached out to Jonathan Levy, right? Did you have every intention of becoming self-employed, going the entrepreneur route when you graduated college? Oh, 100%. So like, I mean, my entrepreneurial muscle started getting flexed when I was 12 and you know, not wanting to get that free lunch. So like I skipped out all my college years. I wrote a book my college year sophomore year or junior year. And I worked on a startup company my freshman year and found out that one of the co-founders was using our money to pay for college tuition. So that ended. So so yeah, I mean, I, my goal was to launch something by the time I graduated. And so senior year, I figured, you know, instead of trying something else and kind of throwing like a Hail Mary pass, why not find somebody who's exactly where I wanted to be in my career, my relationships, mm. like the way he approached relationships and stuff like that. And so I figured why not just learn from somebody that's absolutely crushing it right now and learn everything I need to learn to add a lot of value for him and then eventually go off on my own. And so, like I said, I had a phenomenal experience working with Jonathan, still really good friends. And actually as of May of this year, so not very long, <laughs> I've been off on my own kind of implementing everything that I learned as a result of running at that high level. That's so awesome. But I do have another question to back that up. And this is going to be sort of nosy, but if you knew that you were going to go the entrepreneurial route, how did you decide to go to college? And I'm only asking because I have a, I have a 17 year old and I haven't been pushing for him to go to college at all. That's a great question. So my university actually had a entrepreneurship major. Mm. I wouldn't recommend it if there are programs around it, but I figured if they have an entrepreneurship major, that means that they are looking at investing resources and providing students with the connections that they need to eventually start their own companies. And so I looked at it as an opportunity to use my college experience in a very non-traditional way. And so I think out of the box, college does not do what it's supposed to do. I'll go out and say that right away. I completely agree. But the big but is if you are willing to think out of the box and use college and your experience non-traditionally, you can make it an incredible experience. And so there's this thing I used to teach, or I still teach, I guess you could say is like the cute student card. Like when you're in college and when you're in high school, all that stuff, you can reach out to professionals and say, I'm a, I'm a student, I'm looking to learn and people will help you. You have no idea if you're an ambitious person, you approach in the right way, you know, of adding value and just being genuinely curious and grateful for the time that they give you, you can learn so much. And so that was a huge part of my college experience was like, 
reaching out to people, developing relationships, trying things, surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs and leveraging the resources that my university provided. So that was the idea behind that is I kind of use it as an incubator. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. So I love that you said that because, I mean, I went to the school, the Art Institute of Chicago, awesome school for art. Okay. But I went for interior architecture and in order to get a job outside of college, I needed to teach myself AutoCAD. And when I taught it to myself, they told me that I shot myself in the foot. My professors did. Mm. Like, why am I going to school? The issue that I see with lots of classes, and I think I got this from Tim Ferriss, but it's like lots of schools, they teach on just-in-case information instead of just-in-time information. You know, it's all like, oh, you might use this one day, but the problem is when you can't immediately implement this, you can't immediately implement what you're learning. You immediately like lose it because like you don't see the real-world application in it. And so I think if you can supplement at least what you were doing, you know, learning on your own and implementing it, because you you needed to know it because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to do what you needed to do. And so you probably retain more of that because you had the opportunity to actually use what you were learning in the real Mm -hmm. world. (laughs) I mean, I would have never gotten a job out of college if I hadn't taken the time. And it was so difficult because for three and a half years, I had been hand drawing. But this is, I graduated college in 2001. Hand drafting was long gone long gone. So, and then I saw my husband go through the same thing. He went to school for video game art or design and development. And it was all about the theory and the documents and the storyline and the concept. But when it came to actually learning how to use the software, it was nowhere in the curriculum. So I just need to keep on telling my kids, you know, you can't just do what they're telling you to do. You have to have the motivation and the drive to go beyond. Yeah. So what made you decide to take the jump into your own thing this year? Several things, some changes in the company. And then also in very, very excited for Jonathan, he got married and he's having a kid right now. So there's, there's been kind of like a a shift in his life. So he's looking at automating lots of stuff and moving forward and experimenting with other ventures. And I could just tell that he was itching to do kind of explore the next level for his thing. And so it kind of made a lot of sense. Like he he's having a family, he's going to ramp down a little bit. And it was a good time for me to kind of spread my wings and fly. So it worked out for everyone. So in the last year, I also like I had been working with a client for three years and that client was supplying 95 to hundred percent of all my income. But I decided that I needed to take a change because it didn't feel good anymore. How do you make decisions in your business? Like, is your gut, is is your intuition a big part of it? Gosh, I love your questions. These are fantastic questions. Oh, they're um, just, so- and just so you know, they just 
appear. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. So when I make big decisions, one of the frameworks that I use is Tim Ferriss's fear setting exercise, if you've never heard of that before, but you can look up his TED talk on it. But basically it's like we blow up the worst case scenario in our heads without fully exploring what the reality would most likely look like if we went through with that decision. So fear setting basically has you list out all the worst case scenarios that you have in your head, that you're going to be homeless, that you're, you know, no one's going to love you, you know, whatever the heck is going on in your head. But then it's an exercise. I'm not going to get this word for word because I, I don't do it. I usually use it for big decisions, but he then takes you through a process that you can use. It's like, okay, if this does happen, what could you begin to do to prevent that from happening? Or when, if it does happen, how could you get back up on your feet again if that did happen? And so at the end of it, lots of the times you, you have this exercise where you, you finish it and then you look at it and it's just like, okay, well, like there's an eight to 10 potential upside of me doing this and like a one to two, you know, a potential damage or stuff that's actually recoverable. And so it, it kind of gives you a lot more confidence once you have it spelled out. Cause I don't know about you, but when I, when I have a decision, sometimes it's like the same thoughts just run over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in your head. And it's like, it does, it's not really doing anything, but by systematically approaching it and realizing how you can address negative consequences and that, that it's not the end of the world, it makes the decision a lot easier. Well, I found at points of conflict and I, I avoid conflict at all costs, <laughs> but sometimes avoiding conflict has additional costs because you're avoiding and then it continues to do in your gut and make you angry. Right. So I started realizing that I just had to write it down. I either had to draft an email to whoever was irritating me or, you know, journal it out. But I found that often addressing the person, and I know this is not a positive example, but just addressing the person often cleared up that point of fear. Right. Because I was blowing it so much up in my head. Yeah. Like, how long have you been thinking about this? I wish you would have brought it up sooner because that's not what I meant when I said, and being a person who chronically puts my foot in my mouth, I should <laughs> know that. <laughs> and it's funny too. Sometimes I find like, I want to be reactive and I'll want to send a message. And I, I like that you do that as well, because it's like, if you put it down and then you sleep on it overnight and then you reread what you wrote and it's like, okay, I'm really glad I didn't send that. At least that's what happens to me. The majority of the time I was like, yeah. I'm glad I wasn't a hothead here because it's not as bad as it really is. And I could address it in, in a much more eloquent way. <laughs> yeah. Well, usually I'll, I'll still send some version of the draft, but the very strong words are removed or censored or yeah <laughs> are just muted a little bit you know they don't need to be said quite so strongly yeah so tell me about the journey though of seven figure millennials like what did it look like when you got it started what does it look like now and i know you told me how many domains do you own <laughs> i own a lot of domains i think probably 35 ish maybe 40 plus domains i don't i don't even know at this point it's like if it's 8 dollars you know why not it could turn yep. into something but to answer your question seven figure millennials is very very new at the time of this recording because i just kind of started getting the idea June of this year. And so right now I have a free Facebook group that started around people that have this ideal. And then I'll be launching a podcast very soon around this topic in interviewing people that have been able to build businesses while prioritizing their health and relationships and really just building beautiful, fulfilling lives. So that's the idea behind that. And I'm really excited to see where it's going to go because I'm in love with a podcasting medium. I listen to so many podcasts and I've, I'm just very excited and grateful to join the community of podcasters because it's such a powerful way to develop relationships with people and it's going to be a lot of fun. What are a couple of your favorite podcasts right now? For me, 
I love my Tim Ferriss. I mentioned him a few times. So Tim Ferriss, I also like uh, Noah Kagan Presents. I like Russell Brunson's Marketing Secrets. I love me some TED Radio Hour. All of Dan Sullivan's stuff, Inside Strategic Coach Podcast is really, really good. And especially, I love Dan Sullivan's stuff because he's one of the most... I love his thinking. It's like incredible thinking. And also he's somebody that's coached 20,000 plus entrepreneurs. And so lots of the stuff he teaches is like first principle stuff. You know, you see lots of stuff online where it's like, iterations upon other people's thinking and it's like passing the telephone. But like, you know, Dan Sullivan has been able to prove these concepts for years now and it's worked for thousands of entrepreneurs. So that stuff is really interesting. But I'd say those are my my go-tos. I also love, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, but like everybody loves Joe Rogan. So <laughs> Okay. And on that note, he's the one who just went over to Spotify, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Do you think that was good or bad? I haven't looked that much into the logistics of it. I don't really know from his perspective, like why he decided to make that move. I don't know if it's going to put him in a box and not allow him to express himself the way he normally would when he has other stakeholders that are involved in the production of his podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's my initial reaction without really having investigated or being able to form a more intelligent opinion beyond that. (laughs) Yeah, because I was, um, so my husband watches quite a bit of like, YouTube talk shows. And so if I'm in his side of the house, then I hear them. And I heard reports that when, and it was just in the past week. So yes, I am timestamping this. When his show was turned on on Spotify, a lot of the most controversial episodes were missing. Really? Yes. And there's like a, I don't remember his name right now, but a conspiracy theorist who was kicked off of YouTube. I don't remember his name right this very moment, but his episode was removed. Mm. as were a whole lot of others. Would that be worth it to you to take the money and then not be able to share the message that you wanted to share? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Like for me, it's crazy the world that we're living in because it's becoming more and more polar, especially with our experiences Mm. online showing us what we want to hear and what we want to see. And like, it's just pulling us further and further apart. And I think we've created this world where we just, it's all, I mean, this is actually not accurate at all. So I won't finish that sentence, but it's like, it's showing us what we want to see. And it's like having uncomfortable opinions and hearing about it, I think is something that really helps with with everyone. And so if we're constantly trying to censor and remove this stuff as crazy, it may sound like it's definitely, I think doing more harm than good. And so to answer your question, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I would take a deal like that at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I had somebody, one of a previous coach tell me that my, stories from my life did not belong in my business, that they were holding me back because they were showing fault or, you know, less thans in my history. Whereas I looked at it as a way of showing that not everything is perfect, but I push through, be resilient. You know, you can overcome anything. I mean, we've overcome being in foreclosure and having a car repossessed and multiple miscarriages. We push through and we, you know, there's awesome things that still happen. I pushed through an abusive marriage and came out on the other side, finding my soulmate. So I'm not going to share, or I'm not going to not share this stuff and no hundreds of millions or billions or however, you know, make up an imaginary figure because that's how much he earned as far as I'm concerned. You know, none of that would be sufficient enough for me to not share hope with people. It's interesting that your coach 
recommended that you, you suppress that. It was the my, wrong my, coach. Oh, okay. So that, that's a good thing. But I mean, like my mentor right now, like she, that story that I shared in the beginning of this podcast was so painful for me. And like, it was something that I like refused to like bring up to anyone. And she really encouraged me to dig in. And I realized how much of an asset and how much of a strength that experience was. And I think Brene Brown has a really good line. It's like you're, and I'm going to butcher the exact quoting, but it's something along the lines of like your stories own you until you own the story or something along those oh, lines. Absolutely. Where it's like, until you own the story, you can't put an, it's something along the lines of like not being able to put, to put an end on the story until you've owned the story. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I had let that story of me having that free and reduced lunch exist in my past and it just kind of controlled me and that, you know, that was kind of there instead of me owning that and taking that a part of my experience, now I get to put the period at the end of that and really put where the story actually ended up and that how that, that experience transformed me and allowed me to develop the power of connection and really push me to work harder and experiment with things that I normally wouldn't have experimented with because I had to figure things out. And so right. I think it's very powerful that you share your story and I would encourage other people to share their stories as well because we're all going through this experience together. We're all human beings and we're all, we all have stuff in our past that we don't want to hear about. And when, when we hear somebody share that and be strong enough to share that, it bonds you so much closer than if you were to just try to put it in a box and never look at it again. Yeah. So when I was in seventh grade, we switched school districts between sixth and seventh. So I went from the school that had the lunch tickets to a different school. And in the old school, I was a big fish in a small pond. Okay. In the new school, I was a very small fish in a big pond, very big pond. And to go out of the school at junior high, I pity any kid in junior high. Okay. (laughs) I I just got to put it out there. Keep your chin up kiddos. For those of you who are listening with your parents or listening on your own right now, keep your chin up because nobody can tell you how good you are. You're awesome just the way you are. So if I went out the front door of the school, I had to walk the sidewalk in the bus loop that went right by all the school buses. And it was pretty likely on any given day that I would get stuff thrown at me from the bus windows. So I just started, I had to hang out in the bathroom in the stall because or else the teachers were trying to push me out of the corridors, get out of here, get out of here, go home, go home. So I would hide in a bathroom until I knew that the buses were gone. And, you know, we lived with my grandparents at that point. My mom and my sister and I lived with our my grandparents. And my grandparents were buying clothes for me. My mom was, you know, buying clothes. I had no fashion sense. I still have no fashion sense. I hate clothes shopping. But so, it was neon. At that point, no, it shifted. Thankfully, the neon was gone, but I showed up to my first day of seventh grade with purple jeans, a purple turtleneck, and a purple like cardigan thing. Like Velma from Scooby-Doo. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) So I set myself up from day one to be picked on. Oh, and I had these like huge glasses that were purple. And then the bangs of the 90s to go with it. So I totally get it. And I would, you know... There was a point that I really wanted to go back to the 20, 25, 20-year 20 high school reunion just to have a word with the kids who made me feel so crappy. But at the same time, I was like, what's I going to do? Nothing. I know who I am now. I don't need to tell them who I am. Because, yeah. you know, unless they've grown up too, it's just going to be a waste of breath. So yeah. I, I can just focus on being my best version of me. 
Yeah. And I think show don't tell too, you know, like exactly. you have, you have an incredible show, you have a beautiful family, you have it pushed through many, many powerful things in your life. And people see that you don't have to tell people about that. Like they can tell that you're happy with where you're at. And that's something that words can never express. I mean, the dollar value wasn't insignificant during that point in my family's life. It was like $250 to go to the 20 year event weekend. But then there's the additional stress of what to wear. And I had just, you know, I had two year old twins. I'm still carrying their weight almost six years later. Okay. But why am I going to go through the additional stress of worrying about what to wear when I really don't care? I just don't care. So I love that now, like I feel like at 41, I've finally grown up and I know, I know I do have that 15 something like that years over you, but I feel like I didn't grow up. Like I didn't learn to know who I was until I was 40. Yeah. I think too, business is the ultimate therapy. Like you, in order to lead people, in order to grow your business, like you need to have your stuff figured out. And so that's what my mentor always tells me. Like, why go to therapy when you can just start your own business? (laughs) Well, it's sort of, that's so funny. I agree, but I feel like my business also drove me into needing the therapy that my business helped me (laughs) <laughs> with. Yeah. Well, I, I think your business is an external manifestation of what's going on internally. So it's like, if you see problems that are, that are showing up and you're wondering what the heck is going on, there's a good chance that it's been reflected on things that have happened in your life or the way that you solve problems, because it's like, you're the one that created it. So like, if you're having those issues, you know, lots of the times it can be traced back to limiting beliefs that you may have in your own life. Mm-hmm. All right. So your, your job title we were talking about this right before too. Entrepreneur, digital marketer, world traveler, author. <laughs> what is your title today? Like in this very moment, what is your title? I'd say connector. Okay. I recently wrote a new book called The Magic Connection Method. And I see it. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of ties back to what we were talking about before. It's like our world, especially with social media, it's making us so polarized and it's pulling us further apart. And so... I also don't own the domain since we were talking about domains before magic connection marketing. And so I really think that at the end of the day, it's all about human relationships. There's somebody I was talking to the other day, Joshua B. Lee, and he he has this incredible line where it's like, it's not B2B, it's not B2C, it's H to H, human to human is really what it's about. And so that's what I'm focused on is like the magic connection method really shows people how to develop authentic connections with people and approach people in a way that's really authentic. And so, I mean, at its core, connection is one of the, the main themes. It's always been through my life. And so that's a title I would put on myself when you say right now. I'm risking getting a lot of harsh feedback. So I'm wondering if I should bite my tongue, but I guess when I say that I can't bite my tongue anymore, right? So with everything that's been going on in the last few months, I mean, we've had COVID go on, we've had Black Lives Matter. I've been personally struggling and I know this could be hard to say coming from a white woman, right? Like that. I'm a little bit fed up with the whole situation because just like you, we didn't come from money. Like we have put ourselves where we are today. And I have African-American friends who came from like housing projects and are now doctors, lawyers, you know, they decided that they were going to make a change and they decided to defeat all odds against them. But I think that as a whole, we need to respect everybody. 
So I'm, I know this is putting you in a tough spot, but do you think that there truly are limiting circumstances or outside of our own heads? Can you clarify on that a little bit? I guess, okay, let me explain my thought a little bit more. I feel like if somebody decides that they're going to do something, if they decide that they're going to change their lives, that they can. The only limitation that they have is themselves. What's your opinion? I believe that to be true. I mean, I have I think it's reflected in my life. I've seen it. And there's like the whole, I don't know. There's, I think it's a combination of you making the decision to make a change. And my formula, every time that I've grown to the next level, it's been because of a connection with somebody else. Somebody that's introduced me to a new way of thinking. Somebody that's introduced me to new resources. Somebody that's introduced me to other people. And so I think that there's really two main things is one, the decision that you need to make a change and two, that you're not doing it on your own, that you're actively seeking and learning from other people that, that are willing to help you and also preventing mistakes that they may have made in the past. When it comes to making connections, what would you say are some of your biggest tips? Yeah. So for the magic connection method, it's a three-part process that I teach people to reach out to people. So it specifically shows the, the part of the connection of like how to form a relationship with, from going from not knowing someone to knowing somebody. And so the biggest issue that I see people make whenever they reach out, and I guarantee, Kim, you can go on your LinkedIn, you can go anywhere, and you will see just tons of requests of like, I'm the CEO of this company, and I have 40,000 users that do XYZ. And it's just like, people make the outreach 100% about them. And I mean, I, I hate to say it, but like, people are not going to read that unless you show that you Oh, are, I don't. I delete it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a folder that I keep on my, on my computer of crappy outreaches, just so I can kind of call back on them when I'm trying to make a point. So I think the biggest mistake that people make is one that it's not about them. So like the first line of the email or the outreach or whatever medium you're using is the most important. And people are like, they use that space to introduce themselves. Like most people are like, hi, my name is Brandon Fong and I am all the titles that we mentioned before. And it's like, it's, it's not about them yet. So like the first part of any outreach always has to be hundred percent about them. Like, Hey Kim, love what you're doing with your podcast. You have an absolutely beautiful family. I love how vulnerable you are on the show. Like that. Okay. So now you read that message and you're like, okay, I'm going to read the rest of this. This person cares yeah, about like, me. You know, it's not, I'm <laughs> like, yeah, keep on complimenting. Yeah, keep, please. Keep complimenting. Like what exactly. else do you have to inflate my ego today? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's the first part is what I call the hook. And then the second part is a transition. And it's like, how can you position it as a win for them? Like whatever, mm. whatever the relationship, what's, what is in it for them? And I used to call it the stupid yes, but I'm starting to call it the irresistible offer now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like how can you make whatever results you want to be of the, the relationship? Like how can you add a lot of value to them? So that's mm -hmm. the next part of the email or the, the message. And then the last part is something I call the no oriented question. So this is something I learned from Chris Voss, one of my favorite books, uh, never split the difference. And he's an ex FBI hostage negotiator. And one of the points that he gives is that people have a finite amount of yeses that they can give in a day, right? So every time you say yes to something, it means you're giving away your time. It means you're giving away your money. It means you're giving away your energy. So like when people, when somebody asks you something, especially if they don't know you, it's kind of like, yeah, like, I don't know. And so what he teaches is to ask no oriented questions instead. So that means starting your questions with, would it be ridiculous if, or would you be opposed to, or would it be a bad idea if, and so that's the last part of the question or the last part of the email. I always ask, it always ends on a question so they can very mm. clearly see that's the one thing that you're asking. Would it be a bad idea if I sent you these ideas that I came up with that can help you? And so kind of weeding back through it, the bigger the gap between the irresistible offer, so what they have to gain and what they have to do to actually move forward with them getting this irresistible offer, the greater your response will be. So that's the structure of the email. It's the hook 
the irresistible offer and the no oriented questions. So Kim, you are so amazing. Love your podcast. Love how vulnerable you are. XYZ, beautiful family. You know, and then the next part of it is, is saying, you know, besides wanting to tell you that I did, you know, whatever irresistible offer. And I actually, when I reached out to you, I sent you a similar message. It's like, I would love to add value to the, the listeners of your show. And I outlined a bunch of ways that I could add value. And then I said, you know, Kim, would you be opposed if I sent you those three ideas that I had to add value to your, your audience? And then, well, you responded, I'm on the show. So it works. And so that's the magic formula, the three-part process that I teach people when they're looking at developing relationships with people. So funny, you mentioned Chris Voss and it occurred to me when I was going through the crazy times in my business, I was actually on the Chris Voss show and I don't think I ever promoted it. So I need to take care of that and start sharing that episode to, you know, I found that, yeah, it's all about other people way too often. And for any podcasters out there, and you know, because you went through this process with me, one of my questions on my application to get on the show is what's your favorite episode of the podcast and why? It, people will purposely not fill out the proper podcast application to get on my show because they don't, I think, because they don't want to answer that question because they've never listened to the show. Sure. But I put it right on my website. If you don't fill out the right application, I'm just going to delete it. Because yep. if you can't, if you can't even read the instructions on the, my contact page, then how am I, yeah. how are you going to show up? And it's funny too. Like if the same thing happens everywhere, like I'll even do that for job app. Like if I'm l- hiring a freelancer, like at the bottom of any post, I'll say, put the words purple cow at the top of your submission. And like, it's very, like, you're not going to forget the fact that I asked you to put the words purple cow at the top of your submission, but like anybody that doesn't put the words purple cow at the top of the submission, like they clearly didn't read what the heck I was talking oh about. Oh my gosh. I have that same thing on my, <laughs> on my work with me page. Sure. I say hello and goodbye. Hello is who I'm looking for, for people on my team. Goodbye is who I'm not. I'm like, if you don't pay attention to detail, I don't want you on my team because I don't want to have to be explaining everything that you could have found elsewhere. And I'll know that it's not that you're not detail oriented. If you don't remember that my favorite dessert of the moment, and this is two years ago, but it's still true is Brookie ice cream. (laughs) So down when they're going through the application, the last question is what is Kim's favorite dessert or her favorite snack of the moment? And I will receive answers like, that information was not retrievable from my short-term memory file. But is a robot that was, yeah. was applying? <laughs> I don't see how that's relevant. I don't know, but I know that Kim can't cook, which is true. They found <laughs> that on somewhere else on my website. It's like, hello, if you can't even read four paragraphs, go away. Yeah. Just And all it is for the podcast is two sentences on my contact page. Right. Do not fill this form out if you want to be on the podcast. Instead, go here. Thank you, Brandon, for getting it right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like the rest of them, just make it easy for people. I'm a gamer, Brandon. I don't know if you've heard that yet. Yeah, I, I did. And I, I heard, okay. I was listening to your episode. I don't remember the, the name of the gentleman, but you were talking about, he was the one that recorded in the pot in, in his closet and you were, you were making fun of each other for, for making sure that F-bombs weren't flying when you're yep. recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I completed, and this is very relevant for business. So please don't anybody think that it's not relevant. I play Ark Survival Evolved. My husband and kids and I have been playing it for almost six years an obscene number of hours in this game. And now I have a little discord store where I sell my dinosaurs, you know, when I'm not 
busy in my in my work. But I also buy dinosaurs. And there's a point to all this. Well, I made a transaction yesterday. It's all with in-game currency. I don't want the developers getting pissed at me or anything. And apparently I paid wrong. And the person did not handle it well. But I made sure to take care of it. But what happened was they said, well, did you go to the payment options tab channel to see what types of payment I accept? Well, they said in the listing what the price was. So I misinterpreted. And I told them as an entrepreneur and as a shop owner myself, make it easy and simplify it. And I didn't, I actually said busy because I'm busy. I don't have time to go to eight different places to find what I'm looking for. Make it easy and make it simple for busy people. Maybe that's not what I said the first time. But third, I almost wanted to say that the customer is almost right. But I, I don't agree with that because I've had some situations where the customer was definitely not right. And I mean, in my business, what's your opinion on that expression? That's a good question. So what I've found is that typically... Just like my first words that were come out of my mouth is like Shrek, like ogres are like onions, like your customers are like onions too. It's like what they may say is the issue is really not the underlying issue. And if you get bogged up onto feeding that surface level, whatever they say the problem is without actually having conversations and going a level deeper, you're probably solving the wrong problems. You know, lots of people at the end of the day, like if you, if you are doing customer research on a product and you're researching a bunch, like at the end of the day, people are going to say it's, they don't have time or they don't have money. Like those are the default things that people are going to say, but like you know that like the real answer is a few layers deeper than that. So yeah, asking and basing your feedback on surface level responses from people, I think can definitely do a lot more damage than good. But if you are willing to dig deeper and actually have conversations and figure out what the real issues are, then that's where the gold comes in when it comes to creating products or validating ideas. Thank you. You are actually just confirming just thoughts. I'm working on a five-day challenge. And it's about working smarter, not harder. I already have a 30-day challenge for work smarter, not harder. But I realize 30 days is just too long. Yeah. But I'm going to charge people to get them into it. And I want, for the listener who is wondering, why are you going to charge me to be in this challenge? I want you to ask yourself, how many times have you completed a challenge that you got for free? Yeah. When you pay, you pay attention. I 100% mm-hmm. believe in that. I was signed up for three challenges last week and I didn't log into any of them because they were all free. Mm-hmm. But if I had paid even $5, I would have been in there. And I have one, if you haven't heard of her, Rachel Miller, I have her inbox or I have an email in my inbox inviting me to be part of a 10-day challenge, I think, for $10. And I want to sign up for it so bad but I'm not going to until I know that I can commit the time and the energy to do the work because I'm paying for it. But if it were free, then I would have had no problem signing up for it, but I wouldn't have done the work. Yeah. I think the, the, another lesson that's in this too, when it comes to challenges and stuff like that is at the end of the day, people don't buy whatever your product is. They don't buy the course. They don't buy the challenge. They don't buy the book. What they want is the result at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And lots of the times I see a mistake that people make is they try to sell the challenge. Like, Typically, people don't want to challenge. Challenges are challenging, you know. So, like to the un- the, the subconscious mind, it's like, "Hey, do this extra work," and it's like, "No, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that." So, how can you sell the results? So, I that's another thing that I'm I'm focused on right now is something I, I created called PurchaseResults.com, and I'm working on that as well from a consulting standpoint. But that's just just kind of came up as you were talking about that is is making sure that you're actually selling results instead of selling whatever it is that you're trying to sell. 
You should see if sellresults.com is available. You better do it before this. Yeah, I know. You know. Maybe we shouldn't have said that online, but buy results. I was I was looking at it. it was uh, I was really really expensive, and I just to validate an idea, I wasn't ready to spend that money on it. Hey, you have a few weeks. Sellresults.com. I'm not going to go look for it. That one's all yours. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I I have domains that I bought just because it sounded great at the time, and at those times, I mean, and it's nothing like your 800 to a thousand domains. I have 25. Sure. So, and I've let some go over the years and I'm actually, and my, my teenagers hate it that I say this to them, but it's like Elsa and Anna frozen. I've just started singing in my horrible singing voice. Let it go. Like if it's not building value for you personally or for you educationally or for you professionally, I've just started letting it go Yeah, because yeah, it's. I don't need more to maintain. What are you most excited about? Let's pretend that quarantine, COVID, uh, riots, protests, election, let's pretend that all of that is gone. What excites you most about the next 90 days? 90 days. So it's over and there's 90 days from now. My first reaction yeah. was was my wedding because we've had to postpone our wedding twice and like haven't been able to hug people for that. So, But that's that's longer than 90 days away. Can we just pause and talk about that for a second? How, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> are there costs involved with postponing? Like, Are the vendors being cool on that? We've been very fortunate that we've been able to transfer the majority of it to next year. But it was supposed to be June 28th and then we moved it to October 4th. And we decided to have a ceremony on June 28th, but have a celebration later. But then, you know, now October 4th is right around the corner and things aren't still looking as good as they could be. So we moved it to next year, but we were, we were fortunate we were able to transfer it. But if any listeners... So you're married, but you haven't had, like, you haven't had the big wedding. Yeah. Well, congratulations. My bachelor's party is next weekend and it's like, I'm already married. So it's, it's, kind, it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird for anybody that's getting married during these times. So my heart goes out to anybody that's listening and is having, having similar issues because it's not fun. <laughs> How are you going to do a bachelor's party now? I don't know. Like I didn't get to have one beforehand, but I mean, we're my best man's got that all figured out what's going on, but it's, it's not technically a bachelor's party. I, mean, I don't know what you call it anymore. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mean like now that you're not a bachelor. I just mean logistically because I, well, okay. I'm a woman. I've never been to a bachelor's party, but strip clubs, I can't imagine are open (laughs) bars, you know, are getting closed at 10 o'clock at least here in Ohio. Like, okay. So get a whole, it might just be a tailgating an awesome tailgating party. I think for us, we're doing an escape room. We're going to do ax throwing or something like that. Some laser. I don't even remember what my friends got. There you go. Some of that. So hopefully it's, it's all good. Okay. So, COVID's done, quarantine's done, you're married, like with the wedding having actually taken place. All of that. What excites you most? I think travel again. Like, I mean, but like, like I was able to, I was very blessed when I was working with Jonathan. I've been to 23 different countries with my now wife. And so we've been, we've been all over the place and I just love experiencing new cultures and trying that kind of stuff. So we originally had a trip planned for Florence, Italy actually like two weeks, it was October 14th or something like that. But because of all the stuff, you you know, we can't, it's like there's mandatory two weeks quarantine when you arrive. So our trip is only two weeks. So it's like you would get there and stay in an Airbnb for two weeks and then leave. (laughs) So no point in that, but yeah, answer your question. Excited for travel again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm an introvert, but I miss events. Like live person events. And right now my events are limited to Girl Scout meetings with social distancing (laughs) and soccer games. 
with social distancing. And there's nothing like sitting on 90 degree bleachers with your mask on. Right. So yeah, events and just having adult time out of the house without masks would be really nice. Yeah. That will yeah. be nice to not wear masks. Wearing masks in the gym is my least favorite because our gyms are still open right now. But like doing cardio day with a mask on is not fun. <laughs> Wait, you really have to. I wondered how how that was being handled. Oh, uh, I mean, they are our gym is pretty. I mean, we have our machine space and stuff like that. But yeah, we're we're supposed to be wearing masks during cardio and that kind of stuff, which isn't fun. Well, here's one for you. And I know we're timestamping this for listeners who don't have kids. I just need to put this out there. So my. My son is in orchestra. Orchestra can still happen, you know, because it's string instruments and they've got their bow and it's not like it's spewing air all over the place. The band at the high school, though, is not practicing. Yeah, I, I get it. That makes sense. And I, it just blows my, no pun intended, it blows my mind. <laughs> they have them all socially distanced in the auditorium, but they're still not practicing. And I get it, but it's just, it's painful. I mean, it's painful for me to watch the kids who are being so impacted. And I'm not even going to get onto my thoughts about whether we should open or not, because I don't honestly know. I just got to say. So I want to ask you one more question, though, about everything that's happened as a result of quarantine. Do you think it's been beneficial for your business? For me, like my wife calls me a hermit all the time and I fully embrace that. Like I'm, I'm a hermit anyways. Normally I work from home, work hundred percent remote. My business is remote. So like whenever I, I do work outside of quarantine, I would go to a coffee shop or I would go to a library, but now I just, I don't even have that travel time. It's just like, <laughs> I just get to work here. So I think it's definitely some of the benefits of this is the fact that people are more open to remote work. They're more open to pursuing careers, entrepreneurial careers, and being more open to consuming online education products because that's the world that we're in right now. So I think it's going to do you know good in some ways, obviously not many ways, but for my business, I think it, it's helped in some ways. And for somebody who's about to enter yet another new year, I can't believe it's not that far away now, Yeah, thinking that they can't sell anything due to what's been going on in 2020, what do you have to say to them? Are we talking about like a brand new entrepreneur that hasn't started or like an entrepreneur that's an ex- existing entrepreneur that it can't can sell be stuff? Any. Or like, I've had the opportunity of being in, you know, I was in Genius Network. I'm in another mastermind that I really love right now that's a similar caliber. It's called Tribe for Leaders. And it's like everybody's growing right now, uh, believe it or not. And it's like, I think it's a limiting belief to think that, oh, because of all this stuff going on, like you can't grow. And so I would, I would, challenge people to think outside of the box and look for solutions because people are hurting right now. People need help. And mm-hmm. and like the biggest businesses are built during times of recession. And yeah. so now is not the time to be scared. I don't think. I think now is the time to really look at how you can serve and play at a higher level than you were before and challenge yourself because like the new normal, there is no going back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you really want to grow, I believe that now is the time to put the accelerant on and really look at how you can serve people during these times. My church or the church that my husband and I were watching, we were watching it before all of this. We were watching it on YouTube. It's just the, it's the community that we had really connected with, right? So rather than go to one of our local churches, we felt really pulled to watch this one online, but they've been able to grow. They were already huge before this, but they've been able to quadruple, if not 10 times their numbers because they had been forward thinking before and they didn't think small. They had faith in themselves and their abilities. And I'm not just talking to people who are of religious, you know, 
background. I mean, I'm a Christian. I don't care if you're a Christian or not, but have faith in yourself and know that just by taking little actions, I mean, today you can create a one-sheeter little tiny guide on Canva that can help somebody. And when you get it out there in front of people, I mean, you're a digital marketer too, Brendan. When you get it out in front of people, there will be somebody who comes back and is like, okay, how can I hire you? Because I really don't have time to put this together, but I want it. How can I hire you at another level? Because I really want sell results, right? I really want the results that you're promising or that you're not promising. Don't promise, please. (laughs) That you're proposing here, but I can't do it myself. So don't be afraid to sell. I've seen clients or I've heard clients tell me that they can't sell. And all I've been able to say is why not? Selling is really relationships at the end of the day. Like, I mean, it's really just finding, having a genuine conversation with somebody. And it's like, if your product and service is good and it's like something that you're creating that adds a lot of value to you, it's really not much of a sell. Like, so many people talk about webinars and challenges and all this stuff. And like, yeah, it's all said and good. But I think I truly believe at the end of the day, if you have an irresistible offer and the right target market, there's no sales process. If you're somebody that is dying of starvation in the desert and you bring a bottle of water, you don't have to put a webinar on to sell them that bottle of water. <laughs> so like, I think that that, you know, if you're selling something and there shouldn't be that much resistance, if you have the right target market and you have the right offer. Absolutely. Brandon, I've loved every second of this. Where can listeners find you online, connect? When's your podcast launching? Yeah, all that great stuff. Yeah, so my podcast should be launched by the time this episode comes out. I'm recording right now and doing all that good stuff. But everything can be found on my site at brandon-fong.com. The one domain I don't own is my actual name because somebody had that before I started buying domains. But brandon-fong.com. And I'll put together a special link for you guys, listeners of this podcast, brandon Fong dot com slash Kim. And I'll put any bonus resources if you're interested in implementing the magic connection method and you're looking at ways to connect with people. Or if you want more information on seven figure millennials, I can make sure that that's all set up for you guys. Awesome. Listeners, don't worry if you didn't get that link, regardless of whether you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, if you're watching on YouTube, you can go over to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP679. Especially if you're driving, please do not try to go right now, but you can go to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP679 and get all the notes, all the books that we've discussed today. Those will all be listed, uh, the transcript and all the resources that we talked about. So just head on over there. Thank you so much. Like you've got me thinking and I actually want to figure out what I would put where the ST of hustle is to change that sign up a little bit. You know what? You've encouraged me to definitely uh, explore a different sign. I did create that a while ago and I, I realized that that is something that I should probably adjust just because of the social stigma and like what most people believe that word to be. So yeah. I but it's a fabulous sign though. I'm just wondering if you took the <laughs> ST out of hustle, like what other word could be made besides humble just by sticking two other letters in? I'm sure going to be thinking about this, even though it's not something that should be occupying my brain right now. (laughs) Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? I believe you're always just one connection away. Like at every point in my life, like it's always been somebody that showed up. And so especially during these times where we've been talking about this kind of COVID related stuff, like connection is really what people are hungry for. And so if you're stuck, I think the answer is really not how to solve it, but rather who can help you solve it. And like, if you're battling with lots of things right now and you're feeling a little bit stuck, chances are somebody has the answer. And instead of trying to do it all on your own, you're just one connection away from making that happen. Thank you so much. It was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. 
When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. 